0: Well, good morning, church. Uh, I was telling Chris this morning and Kyle that I'm very thankful for the cool air. Uh, one of my greatest complaints is just that it's always too hot. Uh, and so any day I wake up and it's not 80 degrees is, a, is an answered prayer. Um, I I can't stress the importance about what Ben said with VBS. Uh, we've got great volunteers, and we're excited for these kids. Um, but something that has kind of been on my mind recently in in, before I get to what I'm gonna do today is kids recognize when you're there. Um, And so then when they come Sunday morning and they see you again, they they know that this is a group of people that cares about them. Um, So what Ben said is very powerful um, showing up for kids. Uh, This morning, it's Church on the Farm, and I was originally going to not continue what I've been doing. I started Ecclesiastes about a month ago, and I was going to do something different, and then I decided that uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue. Kyle's laughing at me. Uh, I'm going to continue just full steam ahead into Ecclesiastes. And hopefully just kind of the beauty of nature and the the sound of the birds will lift your spirits because Ecclesiastes um, has a tendency to sometimes be an incredible downer. Uh, and unfortunately we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 today, which is the good part. The bad part is there is some incredible downer in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Um, so I'm going to get that out front here before we get started, um, and I promise uh, we, we're at church to believe the gospel, so there will be good news this morning. But uh, before we get to that, we need to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and kind of get our, our brains in the space of what the teacher's trying to do. Uh, to give you a little bit of what Ecclesiastes is, is it is a, a book that is a, a uh, production of wisdom literature from, for the Jewish people. And when we think of wisdom literature, we often think of Proverbs, where it gives all these things of positive wisdom, that generally speaking, these will prove true when they are done. And if that is true of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes is kind of the flip coin, which asks, okay, but what happens when they do not prove true? What happens when bad things happen to good people? That is kind of the the space that Ecclesiastes wants to speak to in our lives. Um, And so, in Ecclesiastes 1, just briefly, the the teacher began to explore this idea of hevel. And and it's this Hebrew word that today, we kind of struggle to translate it, but in a lot of your Bibles, you'll see the word meaningless or vain. And that's good, but it, it gets us like halfway there because it's also this idea of something that we're trying to grab at and grasp and hold on to, but we can't. It's hevel. And he looks at just kind of all of these things in his life at the beginning of of Ecclesiastes 1, and he looks at life under the sun, and he concludes that it's full of hevel. It's hevel. It's meaningless, and it's vain, and it's troublesome. And so he begins a thought experiment. What if we try to create meaning and try to have purpose in this life under the sun, and that is all there is? We get 60 to 80 years, if we're lucky, and that's all how will we create meaning apart from God that's his thought experiment and what we're gonna find that in doing so at the end of chapter 1 he arrives at the conclusion when we try to do that we find that we need God God has given us this urgency in this sense to try to create meaning in order to draw us to him and so in chapter 2 this morning we are going to uh, begin exploring three different ways that people have tried to create meaning under the sun. Uh, and it's going to be his, the beginning of his journey for meaning. He's going to give us a thought experiment. Well, if all that we have is this life, then how do we make sense of it, and how do we create meaning for ourselves? And so Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it says, I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was Hevel. Instead of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female servants and had servants who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I had singers, both men and women, and concubines, the delights of man. And so I became great. And surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. And then I considered all my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was hevel, and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun." So I turned to consider wisdom, and madness, and folly, for what can the man who comes after the king do? Only what has already been done. And I saw there is more to gain in wisdom than in folly, there is more to gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. And I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? I said in my heart that this also is Hevel. For the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is Hevel. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is Hevel, and a great evil. What has man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, his work is a vexation, and even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is Hevel. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you again this morning. God, I pray that as we kind of uncover maybe portions of Scripture this morning that don't always feel the best um, and maybe sometimes are are worked through quickly, I pray that that we would slow down, that we would um, be comfortable with a little discomfort, and I pray that your Spirit would speak to us and move in us Using the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. I just thank you again that we are here, outside, gathered, enjoying ourselves. I just pray that that as we as we explore this text, that your spirit would move, and we would think of our lives as as what we need to reflect on first. In your name we pray. Amen. So I'm sorry that was a, a bit long of a text to work through. Uh, but I wanted to give you the full picture of it because he, he really goes on an emotional journey. He even says outright, I hate my life. I am, I am sorrowful and I am vexed and I am troubled. And the first place that he turns in this little thought experiment of creating meaning is he turns to the world of pleasure. And what's fascinating is he says he's going to test himself with pleasure. Today, that's not really an idea that we look at. When we think of pleasure, it's like, this isn't a test. This is just fine. Um, But he he says he's going to push the limits. He's going to push the boundaries of how he can be pleased. He says that if his heart wanted it, he sought it out. Today, there is this notion... uh, in the culture that if it feels good and it makes you happy and it validates you, then you should do it. And the flip side is kind of scary and dangerous because if we take the flip side of that and make it true, that means if it doesn't make you happy, it doesn't validate you, then it's bad and it should be avoided. And that is the life that this teacher lived. He, he saw only what made him happy and, and put away the things that didn't. We've turned our, our kind of culture and society into a subway. Uh, I don't like subway. Um, my wife likes subway, and every time she wants it, I just kind of groan and roll my eyes. Uh, but... We don't at, yeah, we don't get Subway a lot. It's because of me. But uh, at Subway, you walk in, and they're kind of the, the first to do the, you can choose this thing and, and just kind of custom build your sandwich. Um, seems like a really good idea. Uh, in, a, in a recent press release, which I, you can kind of look at me and tell what type of press releases I'm reading, uh, Burger King put out a notice that there are over 200,000 combinations that you can have your Whopper. That's too many. Uh, but there's 200,000 different topping and, and flavor combinations that you can make in this one sandwich. When you go to the supermarket, or when I go, um, I'm weird, I have to go to the Pop-Tarts, and I have to go to the Oreos. Uh, and often, I go to the store just to look at those two things. And when I go, there's, there's tons of flavors. And when you get to Pop-Tarts, one of them is brown sugar cinnamon, and it's bad, so you skip it, and you just keep going. But there's, there's all these flavors, and there's 200,000 combinations of, of a burger, and you can choose your phone, and you can choose your car, you can pick what city you live in, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drive, and where to. You can choose where you go to school, what you'll study, who you want to be. You can pick what you want to watch on TV if you want to watch it on TV. The things in our pockets are TVs now. You can pick how you want to watch it. What platform? Getting even spookier, you can pick your spouse, you can pick your church, you can literally have it your way. That's what the culture today says. And the teacher does this thought experiment. He has it his way. And then he looks back on it and he says, this is meaningless. <laughs> this is heaven." He says that laughter is madness. That bothers me. Humor is my coping mechanism. When I don't know what to do or how to do, I bat to humor. Uh, But he looks at it and says, "Humor is kind of madness and pointless if that's all there is in this life." He turns from these and he turns his attention to alcohol. Today, there's no shortage shortage of substances that people turn to. I work at a high school. And we we fill Ziploc bags with vapes that we confiscate from students some 14 years old. And often when you talk to them about it, they'll tell you it's fine because it's not as bad as something else. There's no shortage of things to turn to. People turn to substances to feel something, to try to create and lay hold of some type of meaning. And if if this meaning in this life doesn't work and they can't create it, they're going to try to replicate that experience themselves. That doesn't work and the teacher turns to pleasure by way of feel-goodness. Doing something nice for someone. It feels good. It's a type of pleasure. Being kind to people. Not all pleasure is bad. But That's what he does. He he says he tries to create parks and and, and these building projects. He he does something creative. He wants to build something so other people can enjoy it. And in short, in, in all this, he wants to help other people be pleased. He's helping other people live for the weekend. And he tries to create meaning in all these building projects. And then he decides, okay that didn't work, I'm going to save up. I'm going to build my nest egg and I'm going to sit on it like some dragon. It says he had treasure, silver and gold. Uh, he, he rests on his small fortune and he's not met with meaning. Finally, we'd be remiss, um, but he says that he, he sought out sexual pleasure, he said he had concubines. And he turns to all these things, and he leaves no stone unturned. And if this is written in the spirit of Solomon, whether it is Solomon himself or someone trying to put Solomon in our brains as he writes, Solomon truly was a king who had it all. 2 Chronicles 1.15 tells us that in Solomon's day, silver was so common, they laid the roads with it. 1 Kings 11.3 tells us that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. If you're not great at math like me, it's about three per day. That's a lot of trouble. The teacher's pursuits of pleasure, if they're in this, this spirit of Solomon, they're truly unmatched. And he leaves no stone unturned, and then he reflects on it, and in verse 9 through 11 he says, I became great and surpassed all who were before me. My wisdom remained with me, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for my toil. And I considered all my hands had done and the toil I had expended, and behold, all was hevel, and a striving after the wind, and there's nothing to be gained under the sun. He says it. He was the best that there was no one up until that point had ever surpassed him. He had it all. He literally had it his way and he concludes it's Hevel. It's meaningless and pointless and it's vain. He concludes there's nothing to be gained under the sun by any of this pleasure. And maybe you hear that and you go, well okay, he just needed to learn to be content. He had a contentment issue and I I would say probably, but our culture does not care about contentment. In fact, they make billions of dollars off of being discontent. They want it. That's why there's 200,000 combinations of sandwich. Because what if you miss one? There's also this notion that, well... He didn't have anything else to pursue, so that's why he wasn't happy. And there's this chase today for the higher-paying job, the wage chase. And the culture would have you believe that if you if you make more money, then you will be happier. And while that might feel that way, here's, what, here's the problem. Millionaires have therapists. They have problems. They're not happy. And I don't know how they study this, but there was a study released that said that the, the happiest people are people that make under $60,000. Chasing money does not make you happy. It never will. And the teacher tries it out, and he concludes, it's all hevel. Pleasure under the sun is hevel, it will not satisfy, it will not last, and we, if we pursue it above all else, we will never have enough. So what next? <laughs> Hot showers are the best. That feels pretty good in the morning. Are you saying I shouldn't enjoy those? Well, the teacher turns next to wisdom and to try to create meaning. Verse 12, So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. And I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. There is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, I perceive the same event happens to all of them. I said in my heart, what happens to, to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? I said in my heart that this also is vanity. It's hevel. For the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is hevel and a striving after the wind. I told you that Ecclesiastes 2 was going to hit you with a downer. And He kind of concludes here, everybody's going to die. And so he seeks out wisdom in this next thought experiment. And in his pursuit for wisdom, he arrives at three very important conclusions. And they're important because even though he arrives at vexation and despair and frustration, and he's kind of, he's seeming pretty depressed, he he makes three very important conclusions. Um, The first here is that when it comes to rulers being in leadership, or anybody who leads anything, they both inherit what the leader before them did, and we can gather, they will then pass what they do off to another. In other words, how we lead and how we do things, it does matter. At least to the next guy. Second, he concludes that wisdom is more important than foolishness. That's valuable. Because if you look at wisdom and you look at the whole thing and you come away and say, yeah, neither of those really matter, you might as well do either, that's bad. But he's honest. He says, "Nope, there's something about wisdom that even if this life is all we have, wisdom is better than acting a fool. And third, he concludes that light is better than the darkness. Again, he operates in this life and he looks at it and he says, no, it's better to walk by the light to try to pursue something that looks like it's heading in the right direction than to stumble all over into nothingness. And that's valuable, because when we think back on chapter 1, where he says God has kind of put it into us to try to find these things about God, even when we try to play the game without God, he concludes there's things that are just begging us. Wisdom's important. Light is important. So go find the source of it. And this seems promising. Like, we read these and we go, okay, he's getting ready to turn over the new leaf, and he's getting ready to hit me with the good news. He gets to the end of that, and then he concludes, he says, all will meet the same end. The wisest man who walks in light is going to die just like the foolish person who walks in darkness. And that's tough to hear. Because sometimes, when we, especially when we get to Scripture, we start thinking about God, We really don't want that to be the case. We want to read because of their wisdom, they're guaranteed an extra 15 years. That's that's not the case. Wisdom will prolong our life, Proverbs tells us, but usually that's because it takes us away from foolish decisions that will lead us astray into death and destruction. he looks at this and he says, yeah, but they both die. He even gets frustrated. He goes, I could have spent a lot less time trying to be wise and a lot more time enjoying acting a fool. He's frustrated. And if you've ever had to interact with people, or maybe you have gone through the experience of, of, and, and Ben puts it very well when he talks about his story not asking God why, but asking God what, but if you've ever been to that spot where you're tempted to ask God why, that's where he's at. God why? The wise man dies just like the fool. And the teacher's response in verse 17, he says, So I hated life, because what is done unto the sun was grievous to me, for all is hevel and a striving after the wind. He says, I tried to pursue wisdom and live in light and I tried to do the right thing and learn all the stuff and how to do the right stuff and I still die, just like the person who never cared about any of it. And you can see where he could get to that and go, hands up, I'm done. He says it's heavy, it's meaningless and frustrating. And he's like, why is life like this sometimes? How come in this life under the sun, death comes to the wise just as the fool? Why can't they get something more? We're going to get to that. Uh, But in pursuit of wisdom, he concludes ultimately, it's hevel. It's a striving after the wind. And so, in one last attempt to create some meaning, he turns this time to his work. In verse 18, he says, I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun seeing that I must leave it to the man who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is Hevel. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is heaven and a great evil. What is man from all the toil and striving of heart for which he toils under the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, his work is vexation, and even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is heaven. He turns to work, but this time he reflects on his experience first. He says, I toiled, and man, I hated it. Work was bad. And there's this pervading notion today, and I think the culture is, is pushing this, and that is that work is bad. And I'm not saying that like, oh yeah, nobody wants to work. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that even in the case of people who, who go to work, or they, they do their job diligently, the culture's pushing this narrative that, yeah, but it'd be nice if you didn't have to, right? And the only problem with that is, that's not what's in the Bible. From the beginning, God makes Adam and Eve, and sin's not available, it's not there yet, and God gives them a job to do. He gives them work, He gives them a garden to tend. And if you've ever tended a garden, that is big time work, which is why I'm bad at it. No. Um, but there's this pervading notion that work is bad. And so it should be avoided. We should try to set our lives up so we can work as little as possible. I would encourage you, um, if you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't really like going to work. Uh, next time you read through the Bible, just track the number of times God gives people something to do. It's frequent. But the teacher says he hated his work. <laughs> he hated it. And I'm gonna be honest with you. And there's been times in my life where I've had jobs where I'm like, no, I, this is not. I don't like this. This is not fun. Um, I stocked underwear for a year, so here we are. But he says he hated his work because he's got to leave it to the next guy, and nobody has a clue if he's going to be wise or a fool. We don't know. And what's wild is you can work your entire life, sunrise to sunset, seven days a week, no days off, and you're never going home. And if the next guy... Doesn't doesn't care about it as much or buy into it as much? What can you do, Solomon? If this is written in the spirit of Solomon, Solomon likely had many children with that many wives. Uh, you tell me. But according to the scriptures, he had one son that we know of, and his name was Rehoboam. And Solomon built this kingdom. It was it was great. Again the streets lined with silver, and Rehoboam ran everything that his dad worked for into the ground. He threw it all away. So much for silver stones. My family and I went on a little road trip vacation a couple weeks ago, Um, and on the trip, one of the things we wanted to do is we went to Montana. I grew up in Montana. Great Falls is the easiest way to tell you where I grew up because I went to school in the middle of nowhere. But uh, on this trip, one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to go by and show my kids the house that I grew up in. I, I, we never moved. I lived in the same house my entire life until I left for school. And so I wanted the kids to see the place that produced me. <laughs> um, and, and we went out to the house, and as we're driving by it, I want to say briefly that my dad has always done an excellent job of maintaining his home. And the yard was always nice. The driveway was clear. We had the basketball hoop. My friends and I could play. The street was clear. We'd ride our bikes up and down. It was a place my my friends and I played often. And as we drove by, the people who own it now have allowed it to fall into some disrepair. Waste high weeds, broken-down vehicles, a boarded-up trailer, blankets in the windows because the screens have been torn out. And, it, I, you know, I'm trying to just show, look at kids, and it's like, no, this, you, you don't get it. It was, it was different, it was better. That's what this teacher is going through. He's like, I don't know what it's going to be like when I leave it. My dad taught me how to try to maintain a home with that house. You can work all your life, every single day. You can save as much as you can. And if you do so to create meaning in this life, the teacher concludes... In verse 23, For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. And this is Hevel. It's sorrow, it's vexation, it's restlessness. You try to go to sleep and you can't because you're too worried about what you're going to do in the morning. In short, if you work too much, take a day off. And if you know me, you know I'm preaching to myself. I struggle to hear that. And if you work too little, pick up a shift. Do it for the people who are doing the work, not for the results of the work. In pursuit of meaning, in pursuit of purpose, the teacher sought pleasure, he sought wisdom, he sought fulfillment from his works, and on all three accounts he says it's Hevel. And so we're left with, okay, so what do we do? We still have to live here. We still have to be on this earth. Is the Bible telling me not to have enjoyment and seek wisdom and be a good worker? No. It's just a reminder that if we create meaning and we try to make our lives meaningful strictly through pleasure, wisdom, and work in the context of our 60 to 80 years, if we're lucky or blessed, If that's all that there is, it's hevel. it's meaningless, it's vain, and it's going to fade. So what do we do? You're saying, well, Hunter, you said there was going to be good news this week, and I'm sitting outside, and the sun's starting to come out, so I'd like some good news. Um... I want to close with the teacher's second ponderings on God. So throughout Ecclesiastes he, he takes a minute and he kind of steps aside and he thinks about God for a second. He, he puts God back into the equation and he does so at the end of chapter 2. He says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God for apart from him who can eat or have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. But this also is Hevel and a striving after the wind. And At the end of chapter 1, the teacher reflects that God gave us the unhappy task of making meaning, and he did so to help us draw near to God, to seek God. Well, there's no meaning here, so let's find it. And here in chapter 2, he concludes that in making meaning and in finding enjoyment, we might as well enjoy our supper, enjoy our learning, and find joy in what we do. Why? Did he just spend all that time telling me that it was Hevel? What's he doing? And, And even here at the end, he says, yeah, it is. There's Hevel in it. And it is Hevel if what you seek to fulfill you, to give your life meaning, is simply in this life. But notice he says, if those things are from God and for God, apart from Him, who can eat and have enjoyment? We bring fulfillment to our lives when the things we pursue are an act of pleasing God. That's what creates meaning. That's what drives purpose. That's what will last. Is the pleasure I'm seeking in agreement with God and as a result pleasing to Him? Is the knowledge that I'm trying to grow in pleasing to God? Am I working towards something and in a way that when God sees it, He's pleased? Because to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. And in the pursuit of his own pleasure, the teacher in this life, in a system under the sun, concludes the only way for it to mean anything is if it pleases God who is above the sun. Is if it is for something that is beyond here. And even then, he notes. He leaves us, it's good news, with an asterisk. He says, The experience may at times feel meaningless and heavy. There are going to be moments when we are working for God and doing what God has called us to do and learning about who God is and what God has for us and enjoying the good things that God has given us. And we're going to look at it and we're going to go, I I don't know if this is right right now. And we're going to feel heavy in it. And often that is because of this reminder that the things we do for God in this life are still in a system marred by sin. We still live here, on this earth, where sin exists. And while we can do things that matter for glory, that are important to God, we still have buildings and budgets. And while those things are blessings, they do not last. They're tools, and they're not the means by which we find our meaning. And so in our pursuit, the the teacher here kind of indirectly is encouraging us to filter what we do through the question, Is this pleasing to God? Have I pleased God with it? And if the answer is no, we adjust. And if the answer is, well, this is just not going to be, then we stop. Notice he, he brings up the idea of sin in the end here. He says, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting. The idea is, is that the sinner doesn't care whether it's pleasing to God. And so God is perfectly content to allow him to continue in his heavily, frustrated gathering. And the challenge there is, let's learn from that and not do so. It's a reminder and a challenge to filter what we do and what we pursue and the things we care about through the lens of is this pleasing to God and we need we need remembrances of that we need things to remind us of that and as Christians one of the things that we do frequently uh, is take communion as an act of remembrance to remind us of Jesus and his work but also that we're working towards something we live on this side of the gospel we have the good news. And we're working towards this new life in Christ. We're working toward eternity. We, we get that when we believe. Can't, we can't do anything to buy it or work our way toward it. But as we live, that's what we're moving toward.